Baptist Broadcast. Thank you so much for tuning in anywhere you get your podcast. really. This thing is piped out from Anchor.fm to all sorts of different platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict. If you're watching here on YouTube, please click the subscribe button for... Con- not for continued notifications. Click the subscribe button to subscribe and then the bell for continued notifications. Guys, we got a book giveaway going on right now sponsored by Particular Baptist Heritage Books. It is a banger. Let me tell you, it's got uh, quite a few books included. I believe there's a total of five uh, volumes. Yeah, and uh, it includes Pillars, uh, Pillars of Truth, uh, for Baptist churches, that's one of them. It's got the Second London, the First London, the uh, Baptist Catechism, and the Orthodox uh, and Orthodox Catechism. Uh, so definitely check that out. That is available only on Twitter this time around. So if you get on Twitter and you like, retweet, and follow my account, you will be entered to win that set of books. So uh, just get on there and check it out. It's it's the first thing you'll see on my Twitter at 1689broadcast. Um, be sure to get in on that, and, and that way you'll have an opportunity to uh, to win that, that book giveaway. So um, the other thing I would like to say is uh, our conference is coming up in August. It's August 9th through 10th. If you're not registered for that yet, please make it happen. Uh, there's limited availability. There's still a couple of months left, so there's still there's still time to get registered. It's free. There's no expense to you in terms of the conference itself. You just got to figure out where to stay. Um, if you register, I'll be sending out reminder emails through Eventbrite that will let you know which hotel we've used as a church. That way you can go and hopefully get the same rate locked in if you decide to come into town for this conference. Um, and so go and register. Again, you can go and register on, on Eventbrite. If you go to victorybaptistkc.org, which is our church's website, uh, you'll see a little banner underneath the, the heading, the header image. You can click that banner that says Victory Conference 2023, and you can go register through that uh, through that link. So hopefully to see you there. I, I, I think there's probably a, a few of you who listen to this who have already registered, and so I'm looking forward to seeing you again if I've met you before. And if I haven't met you before, I'm looking forward to to meeting you and seeing you for the first time. So very excited for that. Again, that's this year, August 9th through 10th. Nine o'clock is going to be just dinner and fellowship. Not a whole lot going on other than just opportunities to get to know uh, some some new brothers and sisters in the Lord, to be able to reconnect to some old, old friends perhaps you haven't seen in a while. Uh, and then the next day on the 10th is going to be full-fledged messages. Uh, Dr. Jim Renahan, Dr. Sam Renahan, and Steve Meister, they're bringing two messages apiece. So we're very much looking forward to that dinner and lunch. Dinner provided Wednesday night, lunch and dinner provided on Thursday. Looking forward to seeing you there. All right, let's get into the subject matter at hand. Today I wanted to talk about curiosity. Curiosity uh, and Actually, I wanted to talk about, just to make it a little bit more specific, because when we talk about curiosity, we, we don't really, uh, we, we're, we're so used to using that term in popular parlance and in kind of just, you know, uh, in passing, we use the term uh, to describe, you know, uh, something that we're interested in. Say, I'm curious to know, or I'm curious 
whether or not. Uh, you know, and there's different ways in which we use that word, and we use it quite often. I'm not saying it's wrong to use the word, but I do want to say that there is a vice that is technically and properly called curiosity. Now, I think a lot of times when we say, I'm curious to know this or that, we're not always being curious in this technical, vicious sense of the word. So I just want to make that clarification or qualification up front. I know this is a popular word. It's used in everyday uh, vocabulary. And so, but it, and, and because of that, it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're involving yourself in the vice of curiosity. And hopefully you'll see that here in a little bit. But one of the greatest works on virtue ethics would be the Secunda Secundae of the Summa Theologiae uh, by Thomas Aquinas, uh, where he walks through the virtues, theological virtues and cardinal virtues. And um, it, it's really in within the context of, of that volume that... Uh, Thomas's understanding of uh, curiosity is um, is brought is brought out, and I don't know, I don't know of another work really that has elaborated upon the vice of curiosity like uh, the Summa Theologiae has, and so that's why I thought we would look at this. Um, the, you know, there there's some things we could do with this episode that would probably take us a little bit beyond. Uh, the scope of it, but I, I think what I'll do here is I'll just go through how curiosity has been considered uh, as a vice, and I'll do that by looking at what Thomas Aquinas has to say about it in the Summa Theologiae, and then I think probably what we could do is look at some examples. So we'll look at scripture as we go through Thomas here, but but then I want to look at a, a, a really a, a kind of cornerstone example of where curiosity, I think, is shown in this technical, ethical sense, is really shown to be in kind of the substrata of human sin and kind of underlying, you know, human wickedness. And so uh, we'll look at that, uh, and, and we'll do that by looking at uh, Genesis 1 through 3. But before we do that, let's go through curiosity as Thomas lays it out in his Summa, Theolo Summa Theologiae. Again, this is uh, all quotations are going to be from Secunda Secundi, question 167, article 1 of that section. So, um, what is curiosity is, is really the question to be answered. And like I said, you know, in, in popular or in modern parlance, curiosity is just a way to express one's interest in knowing this or that fact. Um, for the older, especially medieval, virtue ethicists like Thomas Aquinas and others, curiosity was more complicated than just a mere expression of one's interest to know. Um, curiosity is really a fourfold vice. There are four causes, we might be able to say, of curiosity, and any one of them would constitute uh, the vice of uh, and sin of curiosity. And so this might sound harsh to modern ears, calling something like curiosity 
sin, when curiosity to us and to, to modern hearers really sounds just like some innocent thing that, uh, you know, we shouldn't, you know, criticize. Uh, this is harmless. It's, it's innocent. You know, kids are curious to know certain things. And, and um, but again, we're not just here talking about the interest to know. We're talking about something that's more involved with that, something that involves uh, the disposition and the intentionality of man as he seeks to know. So it's not just an interest to know by itself. And and usually, nine times out of ten, that's how we use the word curiosity or curious. We say we're curious to know this or that. And, and, and there we're just describing a general kind of benign interest to know, you know, and, it, and it, could, it could have a good reason behind it. All right, so we're not just talking about this kind of nebulous idea of, of having this interest to know. Instead, we're talking about a fourfold vice. When we say curiosity here within the context of this program, we're talking about a fourfold vice. That is a vice that has basically four causes, and uh, we'll, we'll look at those each here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at what Thomas has to say systematically in Secunda Secundi, Question 167, Article 1, about curiosity. And as I look at each of these causes, we'll look at Scripture uh, or the Scripture that, that, um, that corroborates what, what Thomas says. Okay, so in giving this kind of fourfold definitional understanding of, of, of what constitutes curiosity, he begins, Curiosity happens first, he says, when a man is withdrawn by a less profitable study from a study that is an obligation incumbent on him. Sorry, I kind of butchered that. But what he's saying is when a man is withdrawn by a less profitable study, when he's distracted, we might say, when he's distracted by a less profitable study from a study that is an obligation incumbent on him. So, so read that as him saying, you have this really important obligatory study that you must involve yourself with. And instead of doing that, you are pulled away from it by some less important, less significant, and less obligatory uh, study. It's, it's less profitable as well. Um, and then he quotes Jerome. Jerome says, we see, Jerome kind of gives an example of how this was happening in his day. He says, we see priests forsaking the gospel and the prophets, reading stage plays and singing the love songs of pastoral idols. Um, <laughs> it's almost striking how, uh, how well the situation that Jerome describes maps onto the current day. I mean, you think of, um, of those things that you you see on you know TBN or <laughs> if you've ever been put in the unfortunate circumstance of having to watch TBN uh, or you you think about all of the gimmickry that is employed in modern day quote unquote worship um, and, and you see the the involvement of pop music and and plays and things that happen it's people ultimately that. Are are cold-hearted toward God. They've gotten bored of the gospel, um, and they're looking for for the next thing, right? And Jerome essentially um, describes that situation, and, and Thomas is saying that that is a stripe of curiosity. So when someone is is taken away 
from something that is most profitable and most obligatory by something that is less profitable and less obligatory, uh, something that is essentially fruitless, uh, then that person has involved themselves in the vice of curiosity and, and have, have committed the sin of curiosity. You know, we see things like this in Scripture as well. So like in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, let me just make sure my, my reference on this is correct because uh, I, I had a typo earlier that I fixed. I don't know. Let's see. Um, it's it's uh, 2 Timothy 2. Yeah, it wasn't correct, so I'm glad I checked. It's 2 Timothy 2.14, and Paul says there, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Now, that, you know, that admonishment is, it contains a principle that, you know, kind of runs as a thread throughout a bunch of different things, a bunch of different things activities that we could possibly involve ourselves in, whether it's, you know, this striving about words, you know, to a fruitless end, um, or, you know, um, employing gimmicks in, you know, sacred worship, which is obviously um, uh, something that is not acceptable uh, to anyone who, who, you know, would read scripture and and understand scripture as as a divinely revealed document that prescribes a certain mode and manner of worship. And so, what Paul says here in Second Timothy two fourteen is is really just the foundation for why Thomas would say what he said regarding the first stripe here, the first cause of curiosity. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. And what Paul's describing there is the potential to be distracted from by that which is less profitable from what is most profitable, from that which is most obligatory as well. And so that that kind of first cause of curiosity or first ingredient of curiosity, or rather this first version of curiosity that that uh, Thomas mentions is just the idea of distraction, right? If you were just to put it into a, a, a one-word summary, distraction, that's what's being described here. And how distracted is our society? You know, you walk into a restaurant, you see families sitting down, but no longer are families really talking with one another, conversing with one another, getting to know one another. They're all sitting there on their phones. Or you see a group of friends that that walks into a restaurant or a group of friends that's walking through the mall, if you still go to the mall, uh, and, and as they as they are walking, they're all on their phones, right? You see people driving together in the same car. They're all on their phones, even the driver. And so we have been beholden to, as a society, distraction. And I think this kind of first version of curiosity mentioned here by Thomas is a, uh, is a socially accepted sin. It's one of those socially accepted sins that we we wink at, but is actually quite serious when you take the covers off and you realize just just what it's doing. This is a distraction from that which is, you know, edifying and obligatory, and we're neglecting all of that so that we can focus on something that's not fruitful really at all. And um, uh, you can see how this would really easily turn into idolatry, and perhaps we could even classify it 
even in its softest form, as a form of idolatry. You are you are trading that which is glorious and that which is even dutiful for you to to focus on for something that is not really glorious, it's fruitless, and it's not even dutiful for you to focus on it. And so there's a there's a, a, a kind of a an uh, an element of idolatry when it comes to this this first version of of curiosity. What does Thomas say about the second version or the second cause of curiosity? What what's the second thing uh, that really leads one uh, to be classified as as a curious person, someone who's participating in the vice of curiosity. Second, he says, curiosity happens when a man studies to learn of one by whom it is unlawful to be taught, as in the case of those who seek to know the future through the demons. Um, you know, this is one that that really uh, applies perhaps in ways that um, we might not initially perceive when we read that. Because Thomas really takes it, takes it to the extreme here with demons. But I mean, you think of even the discussion and the debate and the controversy over, you know, female quote unquote pastors, and those who seemingly have an itch to learn from those who are actually not qualified to teach in the particular capacity that they wish to learn under. Uh, you know, this this is that's a kind of curiosity. But here, Thomas really takes it to the extreme, and he references, really alludes to the idea of these doctrines of demons. People are are desiring to learn something from uh, a source that they should not learn from, and demons are, you know, one of them. The most extreme, the most obvious source that we should not learn from, that we should not try to acquire knowledge from. Uh, again, you know, biblically speaking, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, Paul says there, writes to young Timothy, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, you know, forbidding, forbidding, he says, to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so there, there's, this, there's this idea here of, you know, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We're, we're pursuing knowledge through an improper and even wicked source. That's a second kind of curiosity. The third kind of curiosity is as follows. He said, curiosity happens when a man desires to know the truth about creatures. So he's desiring to know the truth about things in the creation. We can think of the natural sciences, for example, or even those, you know, kind of hobby horses that we tend to get off on uh, throughout our, our regular mundane course, and we desire to learn about these things. But he says, when a man does that, he desires to know the truth about creatures, which isn't bad in and of itself, without referring his knowledge to its due end, namely the knowledge of God. So to learn vainly, to learn... Uh, in a way that does not recognize God as the chief end of our learning and the very reason for which we would want to learn about creatures, uh, that is to grow in our, uh, our, our knowledge and wisdom in relation to God, then we have committed a, a brand of curiosity or curiositas in the Latin. And so he, he quotes Augustine. 
He says, hence Augustine says that in studying creatures, we must not be moved by empty and perishable curiosity. This idea of learning vainly just for the sake of accruing facts intellectually. But, Augustine goes on, we should ever mount towards immortal and abiding things. In other words, even in our learning of temporal things, things which are finite, things which are articles of creation, even in our learning of those things, we should yet have ultimate reference to God and desire to know those things so that we can glorify God. Um, this puts a whole spin on you know secular science and the state of the expert in today's day and age, which is essentially a, uh, a project of learning without making reference at all to the ultimate purpose for which we would want to learn in the first place, namely to know the creator and to glorify the creator. And so that's a, that's a third kind of, of curiosity. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so, you know, at bare minimum, we should, we should be doing all things to the glory of God. And this includes, of course, our, um, our learning, our study. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There's this idea of vain knowledge. Now, Paul doesn't have in mind there all philosophy. Uh, this has a particular context, doesn't it? And there's uh, a qualifier um, that goes along with this, namely that this, this philosophy in particular is... Uh, inclusive of empty deceit, uh, it is able to cheat others as if it's false. So this is a, a false philosophy. Um, it's it's rooted in mere traditions of men and, and custom, pagan or heathen customs, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. It has no relation and, and no reference to Christ, so it's done vainly. Um, so that would be a third kind of curiosity. A fourth kind, and the last kind of curiosity uh, Thomas says, curiosity happens when a man studies to know the truth above the capacity of his own intelligence, since by so doing, men easily fall into error. And so here he's talking about vain speculation, um, you know, these things that men would would grasp at and not be able to lay hold of, this idea of kind of always learning but never reaching the truth or, or, or trying to peer behind a curtain that has not been pulled open for you. Uh, you, you are venturing to know that which is beyond your capacity. Um, he quotes uh, Sirach chapter 3, Seek not the things that are too high for thee, and search not into things above thy ability. And in many of his works, be not curious, and further on, Sirach, that's Sirach 3.26, for the suspicion of them hath deceived many and hath detained their minds in vanity. Uh, you know, that accords with canonical scripture, right? Sirach is not a canonical uh, document. It's, it's apocryphal. Um, and obviously, Thomas is not scripture, but everything that is said there in that characterization of this fourth kind of curiosity is said in Scripture in so many words in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words 
of this law. And so basically, if God's not revealed it to you, either through the book of nature or the book of scripture, uh, and you go and you try to know it, you are going to draw false conclusions and you are going to pervert that which you are trying to know because it's not been revealed to you to the extent you need it to be revealed to you in order for you to properly grasp it. Um, and so this this would be like vain speculation um, and, uh, you know, things that would have, you know, in the Middle Ages constituted scholastic abuse. And, you know, Thomas was, in, in terms of his, you know, being included within medieval scholasticism, which he definitely is, uh, he was distinguished you know, and this was observed, I think, you know, in in in, uh, in later reformational writings that Thomas was one of the sounder scholastics. He had no desire to, you know, clog religion with new words. Uh, he had no desire to uh, uh, to speculate in an empty way about things which cannot be known, and um, and so he was really concerned with exegetical theology and and systematic or dogmatic theology done to the glory of God uh, in an intellectually rigorous way. And so those are really the four that's that's a I think that's a, a decent survey of the four kinds of curiosity. Um, I would just say this, you know, um, hopefully this this is helpful in terms of just understanding that curiosity is a lot more uh, involved than what we might initially think because we've kind of watered down the term in our in our popular vocabulary um this is actually a quite technical term used within the context of of virtue ethics in relation to you know vicious habits and curiosity is a vicious habit it's a vice it's a sin um and so you know when these things are engaged there we see it in scripture even when when one of these four brands or versions of curiosity is engaged and participated in there's 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 something uh wrong there's uh, either you know some kind of idolatry covetousness a vanity um it, it's it, this this vice of curiosity is actually exposing the presence of other vicious habits as well um and and in in a lot of ways curiosity interrelates with covetousness and really curiosity may just be an act of like a more fundamental vice of covetousness and idolatry and so uh i think that's helpful to to know I, again to be able to put a name on something that really i think affects our society but we don't always have a name for it we can't always put our thumb on it is really helpful and i think curiosity is something that is like absolutely destroying our society and by extension our churches in in some ways uh it's just really difficult for people to even pay attention to a book they're reading or to finish a book that they're reading attention spans have declined uh and so um all of that is due to uh among other things curiosity the sin of curiosity okay so one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to look at uh, the fall of man. So if you look at Genesis 3, and we'll just end here. I won't, I won't go into everything. I have some material on this that I've, that I've put together. And I won't go into everything that I have on this. But I would just say that when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through, really, verses 1 through 7, 
um, you see that all four versions of curiosity, as we've just went through them, are present in the very first sin. Um, and and actually, they're they're pre- before Adam even sins. Uh, they're present in Eve's disposition toward the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the serpent. Um, and so I, I think it's, so when you look at, when you look at Genesis chapter three, verse one, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So that, that was a blatant lie that the serpent issues to the woman. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that, the, so her, there was something that the serpent said at that point that for lack of a better term, triggered something. Uh, because in verse 6, we read, so when, the, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. So she's moved from, you know, she kind of had her guard up a little bit. She doesn't know what this thing is. Um, and so she, she actually instructs the serpent as to what God... Uh, instructed Adam. Now there's a debate about whether or not she corrupted uh, God's words, which I tend to think that she did. She softened them. Um, but regardless of whether or not that's the case, you know, you you, you kind of see her, uh, she doesn't immediately capitulate. Um, she, she, she gives somewhat, at least, an accurate representation of what God had said. But then in verse six, something happens where she's just like totally, she's totally now given over to the to the to the serpent's point there's there's been something that has peaked in her now in verse six when it says so the so when the woman saw the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate so there's a task okay so remember the first brand of curiosity is distraction that's how we could sum it up i think in one word um she's distracted she's taken away from the priority, which is to live unto God in a way that God had uh, perspicuously and expressly instructed them. She's drawn away from that when she sees that this tree is, you know, desirable to make one wise and all of that. So she begins to, she begin, she she becomes sidetracked on a task, or not even a task, but on something that is less profitable, obviously, uh, because she's not she's not meeting her end or the telos or the intent that God has for her. All right. So she's, she's distracted. And then secondly, you know, the second brand of, of curiosity is when a man studies to learn of one by whom it is unlawful to be taught. She's learning from Satan, right? She's learning from this dragon in the garden that is lying to her about God. And she, she takes him for an authority rather than God, right? So she trades in she trades in authorities. She 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 departs from the sound words of divine revelation and listens to the serpent. And thirdly, when a man desires to know the truth about creatures without referring his knowledge to its due end, namely the knowledge of God. So that's that's the third brand of curiosity. What's Eve doing here? Well, she's actually desiring to 
uh, to know something and to be wise without reference to God. She can't do it with reference to God because uh, she's 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 explicitly departing from God's ethical standard and from God's revelation that has been imparted to her through her husband as her head. And so she's she's departing from that. So she's she's desiring to be wise apart from God. All right, because she's following the serpent at this point. And then fourthly, the fourth brand of curiosity, when a man studies to know the truth above the capacity of his own intelligence, um, since by doing, since by so doing, men easily fall into error. Well, Eve is desiring to know that which she was not intended to know. Uh, hence why she was forbidden from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so she's actually desiring a place that is beyond her capacity. And we see this, you know, this the serpent lies to her and convinces her that this is a way to be like God. And I think that's one of the persuasive markers that tells us one of the motives for why Eve went ahead and ate the fruit and then gave the fruit to her husband as well, is there was this incentive for God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, it was false, but nevertheless, they exchanged the truth for a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Um, so, you know, I think you can see all four versions of curiosity involved in the first sin. And for that reason, I think curiosity is very important. It's important that we know what it is, that we discern it, um, because it's it's actually involved in the very first sin. If it's involved in the very first sin, then of course it's involved in all of our sin. It runs as a strand, as a thread through through all of our sin and all of the sinful reasons for which we, we do certain things. So, um, Hopefully this was helpful. Maybe this was new to you. If so, that's that's great. Virtue ethics is, I think, a worthy area of study. And so pursue it studiously, not curiously. Um, maybe we'll uh, at some point talk about the opposite of curiosity, which would be studiousness. Studiousness is a virtue. Curiosity is a vice. And so uh, that might be helpful to, to speak about sometime. There is a right way uh, uh, and a proper way of acqu acquiring knowledge that is not curious, and that would be studiousness. So hopefully this was helpful. If it was, do not forget to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and share this episode. If it helped you, if it was interesting to you, it certainly should help someone else as well. God bless. Have a wonderful rest of your day.